everybody. Let's come back to our seats. It's great to see people greeting one another. Uh, this, this morning, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to begin launching out of there in verses 46 and 47. But again, it is no distraction and no mere transition for us to take time to look one another in the eye, to speak the peace of Christ into one another's lives, to see one another. This morning we're beginning a series that is really around what we believe it means to, to lean into the identity we have as God's people, as a church. To not just view the church as something you go to, but as, that you are. Sometimes we'll even say that we hope this is the last time you ever go to church. And the reason we say that is because church is not a place. Church is not an event. And as we lean into this series, this, this next four weeks, I hope that we can see that more clearly from God's Word. And however the Spirit leads you to align your life around the identity that you have, not merely as an individual, but as a part of a family. A family that we'll see today is called to gather together. Not merely out of some sort of legalistic, checklist, religious duty, but out of the good news of who God is, what He's done, who we are, and what he's called us to do now as his sent people. So let's read Acts chapter 4, I mean chapter 2 that is, verses 46 through 47. And we'll keep doing the work of the people and the praise of God. God's word says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, we want to slow down. If we haven't already, just be aware of your presence. Thank you, God, that you are here. Thank you, Father, that you invited us to this place today. Thank you that you like to be with us. Not just alone, but you like it when your children all come together. And Father, we pray that you would help us not only to be aware of your presence, but to actually be present before you. Holy Spirit, right now, would you help us to, to not only locate you, but locate ourselves. Help us, Spirit, to to be here. Help us to show up. We ask that you would show us where we might need to, to be comforted, where we might need to be convicted or challenged, where we might need to cry out. And God, we pray today that through your word and by your spirit, you would make us more like Jesus. You'd help us to be with Him, to become like Him, and to do what He did for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a rhetorical question. Sometimes we ask questions where we respond here, but just rhetorical today in my stand here, magic trick is slowly going down, so I'll maybe be fooling with it a little bit. i got a heavier Bible. But when you think of a church gathering, what do you think of? What comes to mind? Just, just have that little internal... A conversation with yourself right now for a second. Think of 
the, the images that comes to mind, the activity that comes to mind, maybe the place that comes to mind. Now, I've cheated, I've already did this, and so I want to share with you one thing that's really stuck in my head over the past several years. As I spoke with a missionary, he, he was a, actually a, a, a ch child of missionaries, grew up, and I can't honestly remember what it is, Japan or China, and I was just going to make it up, but it was one of those two. And I remember he told me as a child that when they would go and meet, every now and then they would meet with a particular church that met in the back of a transfer trailer. So 18-wheeler, whatever word that you need for that, is that this was this church's gathering place. And he said that they would meet there for like three hours. Just them and this, this dark trailer with this little bit of sunlight coming in on it, around God's Word, together as God's people. And then after that, they would go and eat together. And it was just normal. They had lived all of their week as the sent people of God in a culture that didn't really accept them, in a culture that they were sort of outcast. And this was the time that they got to be with their people. This was the time that they got to really remember who they were. For they got to be told again about who God is and what He had done. And so he told me this story because it had always amazed him with the culture shock that he faced when his family moved back to the United States. Because there was a whole other set of issues and a whole other set of concerns and just a whole different culture around what it meant to be a people who were called to gather together. Honestly, for him, he had never thought about gathering together as God's people as something that even anybody would need to be called to do. It wasn't about location. There's nothing wrong with great church buildings. Those can be used very strategically for the kingdom of God. It wasn't about leadership. Leadership is good, and, and having structures and systems in place that help people grow in their faith can be a wonderful thing, and God has instituted that in many ways in His Word. But in the back of that transfer trailer, there was a different story at work. It was a story of a people who deeply had experienced being rescued from the domain of darkness and being transferred into the kingdom of Christ. It was a story of a people who were still amazed that because of the, the death of Jesus on the cross that their sins were forgiven. It was the story of a people who, who had experienced the promise of the Holy Spirit taking residence in their lives and making them temples of God and together a temple of God. They saw themselves not as people who had to come and attend an event, but as a family, a body, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a people of God together. It was about a way, a truth, and a life. A way that God had not designed for them to do alone, a way that they couldn't imagine doing alone, a way that because of their culture, they often were forced to do alone. But this was the time that they got to get together. It was about being in the foxhole with fellow soldiers of the kingdom. 
coming back to be encouraged, to be equipped, to be exhorted, to go back out there, sent into the world as God's people for God's purposes and by God's power, and to know that though it may really feel like it some days, they were not alone. It was like Elijah when he isolates himself and he's headed down that, that path of, of despair and deep depression and just saying, Lord, take my life. And the God reveals to him, Elijah, there are 7,000 others who've not bowed the knee. It's about a gathering to look around. When we gather, not, we're not here just to have an individual experience with God, though we pray everyone does. It's to look around and to know, I'm not in this alone. There's others who've not given up this week. There's others who've not bowed the knee to the idols of this world. I don't know how many of you grew up in, in a church, but it, it seemed like there was always this occasional need to guilt people to be at church. But going down that route just plays into that false story that is a part of our culture that makes it necessary to even feel like we have to do that in the first place. Because gathering with the church isn't something we have to do. Gathering with the church is our declaration of who we are. The, the word in the Bible for church, ecclesia, it's, it's the called out people of God. It's the called out people of God who He's assembled together in this world to represent His kingdom. The false story we're told is we're not the called out people of God. Which is saying we're really not the church, however much we may gather. The true story says we are not Americans who go to church. We are the church that happens to live in America. We are not, first of all, parents, children, ball players, students, or whatever profession you may have. We are, first of all, followers of Jesus who have been called out to be a part of a family of servant missionaries who were sent into all those places as the children of God. Church is not an activity. It's an identity. It's very important. Church is not an activity. It's an identity. It's a gathering, an assembling of those who are roles in the body of Christ. That's why many Christians in other cultural contexts, particularly persecuted contexts, get this. And so verses like Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 make sense. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, no matter what the world says or does. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. To step into that holy, powerful presence of our loving God who is our Father. That's why we find ourselves where we find ourselves in the book of Acts. They gathered publicly in a large group in the temple to hear the apostles' teaching and to learn the story of God with Jesus at the center. And then they also went into their homes to devote themselves to knowing and living out the way of Christ. 
and they were willing to die for it. They were willing to die to assemble together in the name of Jesus. In our church, this is a, a simple correlation. We're not, we don't think we have it the right way, but this is the way is we have our Sunday gatherings. And then we have missional communities that gather in homes to do what they did in the book of Acts. This is why we structure our church the way we do. We don't want to ever call anybody to more than what Jesus has called them to, but we also never want to call people to less than what he's called them to. And it seems that this is the pattern in the scriptures. is the church gathers together as a whole church. 1 Corinthians 14, 23, you can read it. The whole church gathers together. But then the church also gathers separately in homes to express their family identity as those who live out the way of Christ so that others who are not a part of the way of Christ might be saved, that is, might be incorporated into the people of God. The book of Acts, church, wasn't an event for consumer Christians. It wasn't a duty to get God off our backs for six more days. It was a part of being a disciple. It was a part of being discipled. It was a part also of seeing that others were discipled because you believed that as much as you needed to be there, everybody else needed you. It was a declaration that the Spirit of God indwells me, indwells us. We need each other. To be the church then, we must gather as the church in the true story of God. But there's a reason why the vision we see in the book of Acts of the people of God so eagerly and willingly gathering together, there's a reason why that is so hard. There's a reason why as you read through the book of Acts, you see the world, the flesh, and the devil doing all it can to scatter these people from being able to gather together. And then we see the redemptive power of God that even when the people are scattered through persecution, as God uses that, then to just form more gatherings of people across the world who experience the gospel. But there's a story of great disconnection that flows behind this. But it begins in the garden. It begins where God creates a people in His image. And a part of being people created in the image of God meant they were created relationally. The God of the Bible is a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And every how complicated it may be and complex for us to put our finite minds around that infinite reality of a triune God who is one God yet in three persons. What we do know and understand without debate is that God is a relational being. And to be created in His image means to be created as people who were designed not to live in isolation. It was never God's design that there would just be individual Christians who live out an individual life with Him in an individual relationship with Him. Now we all need that personal relationship. That's, that's important. That's the step across the door into the life of God's people. But we were created not simply to be persons, but to be a people. The garden, as, as it were, was this temple sanctuary where people lived all of their life as worshipers, working and tending to the garden, but they also took time to walk together with God in the cool of the day. 
But as we know, this rebellion takes place in the garden that we often refer to as the fall. And at the heart of this lie that led humanity into the deep disconnection that has cursed and plagued our existence ever since, even at the heart of that lie was this appeal to independence. Even the, the trap was set when they were alone. Where's Adam when the serpent comes up on Eve? And then this sin, this rebellion, this grasping to be God that happened in isolation bred more isolation. And even in this curse that mimics this initial disobedience, we see relationships are going to be really hard. You could go back, we don't have time this morning, and read through Genesis chapter 3, and you see, wow, relationships between men and women now are going to be hard. Having children now is going to be hard. Working in creation is going to be hard. And so woven into this story then of a people who are racked with guilt, shame, and fear is this sense that it is really just safer in this world to isolate myself. It's very, it's very dangerous. I mean, Cain and Abel. Look what happens when two people try to worship together. Somebody gets killed. Because even woven into those, the, the early gathering of worship is this comparison, this jealousy, this competition, this consumer spirit. And if, if you're not aware that that happens when people gather to worship, without trying to sound too mean, you've just not been around church long enough. Churches are plagued with people who gather together and they compete and they compare and they consume. When people gather together, they often gather and it ends up being all about themselves. We think of the Tower of Babel. People are together and it doesn't take long before, let's build a city for our glory. Let's build a statue, a, a, a tower that will show that we are gods. And so God scatters them for their own good, but this was not the design. From the beginning, God created us to be a people. The Pharisees of Jesus' day and those even in the book of Acts, what happens when they gather? Just heavy, more heavy burdens are laid on their back. What happens when the nations try to gather? They're blocked. They're kept at distance. There's an inner circle of the, of the Israel elite and this makes Jesus obviously so mad. He takes up whips and turns over tables. Here's a few stories that I've heard about why there are some people that aren't here this morning that may never be here. Not particularly about, I hadn't heard these this week, so don't misunderstand me. A teenager becomes pregnant. 
she lets her church know. And instead of the gathered people of God being the one place in the world where she can be honest, find forgiveness and love and support, now she experiences the cold shoulder of doubt and shame. A child and his friend are invited into a meeting with a pastor who manipulates them into molestation, one of whom commits suicide the next day. A person with an addiction believes that literally lightning would strike me if I walked in there. If you just knew the mess in my life, like God will literally strike me down if I walk into that place. A wife says, I'm not going to walk in there with my husband, with all those other people and all those perfect marriages and just act like everything's okay. Another person with depression or some degree of despair walks in and sees a sign hanging beside a Sunday school room that says church rules. And one of those rules is smile. All caps, exclamation point. No wonder nobody really wants to do this half the time. No wonder the world doesn't see the gathering God's place, people as a place of, of redemption and hope. It's because somewhere along the way, God's people have forgotten, again, that church is not an event, it's not an activity, it's an identity that we share as the called out, redeemed people of God. Gathering is hard in this fallen world because of our wounds. Some of you, no doubt, in here have been hurt through church experiences. Stabbed in the back, kept at a distance, humiliated by leaders. I remember one time in a church context when I dared to say, hey, my marriage feels really bad right now. And it was met with crickets. And you know what I told myself? I will never share anything like that again with anybody. There's lies that keep us from showing up, or we show up, but we don't really show up. The enemy whispering in our ear, nobody really cares about me. They're all just fakes. Everyone is really worse than me, and if they really knew me, they would reject me. Any truth equals judgmentalism. And some because not only of our wounds and lies, but because of idols. Control. American churches are the best at this. Man, if they don't get that temperature set just right, I don't know if I'll be back next week. If that music, if that sound system doesn't get tweaked, I don't know that I can stand sitting there anymore. If that preacher doesn't stop preaching so long, I'm going to have to find somewhere else that I can get fed. We want control. We're consumers. We have demands. The customer is always right.
Who wants to do that? Then our isolation breeds isolation. We don't know what to do with what's going on in our hearts, and so we, we just think, I'd just rather not be around other people. I'm angry, I'm hurt, I'm lonely, I'm sad, I'm afraid. I feel this shame, and I just feel like the presence of other people compounds that. I think what Jesus wants to do today is just to meet us. And all those wounds, lies, and idols, He wants us to own them before Him. And He wants us to say, however the world may want to gather people, is, I, I know that about you. And I, that's why we gather. Because life is so hard. Because the wounds are so real. Because the lies are so strong. Because the idols are so compelling. Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. Jesus was by, betrayed by those whom he gathered to be the, the nucleus of the renewal he was bringing. We continue to betray him each week. And he says, I want us to all get together to remind one another that the, this is not the true story that we have been created to live in. Because the true story of God is not a story that ends in disconnection. It's not a story that ends in isolation. Because before the disconnecting consequences, a promise is even made that a son would be born. A son whom the serpent would come against to seek to destroy him and to finally bring about that eternal and ultimate isolation between humanity and God and humanity and one another. But this son would be born who would crush the head of that serpent. And in the backdrop of this Tower of Babel, where there's this great scattering, as it were, this great dividing of the humanity that hum the, the unity that humanity was enjoying, but yet was taking in an evil direction. Out of that backdrop, God calls a man named Abraham. And he calls Abraham into being so much more than just an individual follower. But his name was Abram at the time, but his name is changed to Abraham because Abraham means father of nations. God was wanting a family to be created, a nation, a kingdom even more that would also be a blessing to the nations so that what was begun in Eden, that the whole earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, now would happen again. But that promise was to take place not merely through a person, but through a people. This nation, these people were known as Israel. But when Israel suffered in the chains of Egypt, God rescued them, not just so they would be free from oppression, but so, if you remember, I want my people, Moses says to, to Pharaoh, I want to take them out to worship. And if you read the story, you're like, well, that's not exactly what happened. But maybe it is. This was the purpose of God, that there would be this worshiping people who worship Him in all of life, in the everyday stuff of life, 
but also gather together to be reoriented around the story of who God is, what He's done, and who they are in this world of life. Their identity would be continually reoriented by their own gatherings together, whether that be the tabernacle or later the temple, where intercessions would be made, sacrifices, teaching, and a worship we read about in the book of Psalms where people say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And although under that old covenant period this happened in more limited time and limited spaces than we now enjoy in Christ, the story is leading us there. And as Israel fell into unfaithfulness again and again, they were called back by hearing the prophetic word of God. And what we need to remember about God's people being called together around God's word, this prophetic word, is it wasn't just a future-telling word or a foretelling word. It was a forth-telling word. As that the prophets, their main goal, their main job was to be these sort of lawyers, as it were, that were reminding people, this is who God is. This is what God has done. This is who you are. Now, this is how you should live. God's people would come around these prophets. They would hear this word. And sometimes they would reject it. But then sometimes they would respond, and that response looked like worship. And in this time of God's people learning who they were, they were exiled. They were in foreign lands. And whether that exile was happening in that foreign land or really even when they moved back to the land of Israel and they found themselves under Roman occupation, they were in exile as it were in their own land. But this is when these synagogues crept up. And if you don't know what the synagogue is, it was, wasn't the temple, it wasn't the tabernacle, but it was, it was these places where God's people would come and they would again remember and reorient their lives, even as Roman soldiers stood outside the door, this is who we really are. This is our king. So in Luke 4.16, we hear these words. And I have it on the list there, but it may be hard to find. And he came to Nazareth, that's Jesus, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. This was Jesus' custom. To gather with God's people. To hear the truth of who God is, what He had done, who they were, and now what they were to be. He participated in it. We, we read in the Gospels of Him taking up the scroll of Isaiah, of proclaiming His identity, of, 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 of re Newing all that this was to be. And we see Jesus very, very upset. Again, with that culture of that Pharisaic leadership that used that opportunity to place burdens on people's back instead of bringing them the freedom of the gospel. There were so many wounds and so many lies and so many idols that surrounded those first century gatherings. But that is why he came. Jesus came in this grand story of God, of dispersion, of disconnection, to regather God's people. It is no coincidence there are 12 disciples. 
and there were 12 tribes of Israel. That's not a coincidence. There's no coincidence that we read in Matthew that out of Egypt I have called my son. We've seen somebody else in the story that was down in Egypt and got called out, Israel. No coincidence that Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. That he passes through the waters. And where is Jesus led after he passes through the waters? There's no coincidence. He goes into the wilderness. There's no coincidence he's tempted there 40 days and 40 nights. As Israel was there 40 years. There's no coincidence Jesus says to Peter as he proclaims that Jesus is the true king of Israel. The son of God. The true and better David. That Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you have spoken correctly. And on this rock, I will build my Bible study. No. And on this rock, I will build my parachurch organization. Although I think they're great. Not being negative. And on this rock, I will build my concert. And on this rock, I will build my church. My called out people who assemble together in my name. Now, now, surely the Bible speaks of what we know as the universal church. That is, all believers of all times and places. Right now, the gospel tells us that we are brothers and sisters with, with believers and followers of Jesus all across this globe. We are in that together, but the Bible puts the emphasis on how we manifest that. So the 110 to 115 times the church is talked about in the New Testament, the majority of those, 90-something, is speaking of local churches. Not to the, the degradation or denial of the universal church, but it's saying, I call my people to gather locally to be a picture of that universal gathering. When we gather here together, what we need to see is this is not even just about us. It's an honoring of our brothers and sisters all throughout the globe right now, many of whom would love to be able to do this in the freedom that we're able to do it, but they are not. We gather together, but we gather with them. Hebrews chapter 12 even says that when we gather together, we're, we're coming together in worship with those who are already at the throne of God. We have such an individualistic mindset in our culture, we lose track of these things. That the sum of who we are is not just what we see when we look in the mirror, but it's when we look in the story of God's Word. It's when we look across the globe. It's when we look back into the history of the church. And it's when we pray, even as Jesus did in His high priestly prayer, I pray not only for those who are now, but for those who are to come. We're gathered here for children not yet born so that they might know the hope of the gospel. How committed was Jesus to the gathering as he goes to the cross? He goes there as the perfect Adam, the perfect Abraham, the perfect Israel. He is the servant of God, the Israel of God that Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 42 through the end of the book, who will take on the sins of the people but who will rise so that God's people will live again. 
He is the hope of Ezekiel who sees that valley of dry bones but who through his resurrection, God's people have life. In Acts chapter 20, it tells us that he obtained the church with his blood. It's 2028, if you need to look that up. Jesus saves individuals, that's true. But the emphasis of the language as we look throughout God's word is Jesus has saved a people. And he rose to gather us. He told his disciples, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And once I've paid the penalty for sin that you could never pay for yourself, once I rise to give you the life that you could never give for yourself, I want you to gather together and meet me over here on this mountain. And so they gather together, this little, these, this little nucleus of this renewed Israel that is happening right in their midst. And then he gives them this mission to go and make disciples of all the nations. It's as if we're back to Genesis 12 and Abraham's call again. But it's the same thing. Now you guys are going to keep that story going together. Now you're going to take this good news that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I am the true king of this world. And I want you guys to go and make disciples, and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want you to baptize them into this relational identity that I have as God. And now I want you to live that out together. Now, now maybe there are some individual baptisms where somebody holds their nose and says, I baptize myself in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and just does a self-baptism. I'm not saying that ain't probably maybe needed somewhere in this world. But the pattern and the normality was is that it takes two people. And even in Acts chapter 8, as the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized by Philip, what, what we're to assume reading in that book is that now he is sent to go and do that and live that where he is going. This is why we're here today on a Sunday and not a Saturday. Because Jesus transforms everything. It's why in a minute we will partake of not the Passover, but the Lord's Supper. But both of these acts are rooted in this much bigger story that we did not just create to figure out how to get people here to hear people sing and hear me talk. No, it's the story of Jesus who came and hit reset on creation through his resurrection. Now there's the first day of the week Acts 27 it says the believers gathered together to break bread it's why as we take this bread and this cup in a few minutes we gather together to do that we do that here each week as a church it doesn't make us more holy or better than anybody but we believe as we look in the Bible is that the believers gathered together and they participated in communion I've said this before, it sounds goofy. It's not individual union. It's communion. It's a picture of the common union that we share. In 1 Corinthians it says they were, you're one body, you're like one loaf. So we, we, that's why we will tear from this. It's a sign of our unity. But our unity is not found 
in any other thing than the finished work of Christ. It's His blood that makes us family. We're blood brothers and sisters. It's His Spirit that knits our hearts together. And it's God's fatherhood. But Cassie's family, they, uh, this is probably on some Facebook thing, but anyway, if y'all are watching it, I love you. Uh, she got a bunch of aunts and uncles, and they, they all have big personalities. So let's just say that maybe there could be some kind of drama going on between one of them at any given time. Maybe. But they, they all get together when Grandma Mimi wants them to. Now it becomes a place for the potential for a great fight to happen. But it also becomes a place for the potential for a great reorientation and reconciliation to happen. And here's why. Because those same old stories start getting told. You know what I mean if you've been a part of a family like this. It's just the same old stories every time. But this is, this is their liturgy. This is their stories. This is their identity. This is who we are. Oh, wait a minute. We're mad at each other. We've been mad at each other a lot of other times too. Remember that time you almost killed her? Remember that time you almost beat him? Yeah, I do. Everybody's laughing. We've been through worse. And even if we're still ticked off at each other, right there sits Mama, and she's what it's really all about right now. I think that's in some veiled way a picture of why we show up because our Father wants His children to be together. My kids don't like hearing it, but I tell them, I don't, I don't want to guilt you into this, but it really makes me happy when y'all love each other. And sometimes, if y'all can just sit in the room together and we can all manage to be quiet. So the father or mother, they, they, like, they love their children, but they, there's a way that they love them all together. And we want to come each week together through the Word and through the table, but also through our presence, whether in the Sunday gathering or our family meals. We want to tell the story. We want to tell the story. The stories from our ancestors, the stories from our present. We want to have hope for the future. We want to sing it together, as God tells us to. Pray it together. We want to give towards it going forth together. We want to reconcile together. Because our Father's here. Because big brother Jesus, who holds all this family together, is here. Because the Spirit is here. Because there's no way we can be sent out into this world as strong as God wants us to be sent 